Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Yeah. Guess what just recently happened? What? Actually, I know what. They're guessing. Sorry, I already know. <laughs> <laughs> and we are sharing this as a tremendous thank you to all of our listeners around the world. It's just a, a milestone we've reached in doing this podcast. We have over 200 episodes, and we just recently hit the 2 million download mark mm. a couple weeks ago, actually. Um, and, you know, not that it's about the numbers. It's really not about the numbers, but it, it's just a, you know, a little milestone in the journey. We've been doing this for four years. And so you, just so you know, all you listeners out there, there's an average of about, well, do the math on that, 200 episodes, a little over 200 episodes and a little over 2 million. So that's an average of 10,000 mm -hmm. downloads an episode. So on average, you're listening to the podcast in your car or your kitchen or wherever you're listening to your podcast, and you're part of a global community of 10,000 other people who are listening to that episode. So thank you, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. It would be pointless for us to talk into these microphones if there weren't listeners. Mm. And it's just great to know that there are listeners out there and that this is blessing people. Mm-hmm. So thank you, everybody. We're we're grateful for that milestone. And Wendy, I'm so grateful to you uh, for doing this for four years with your husband. It has been truly one of the, as I look back at the different things we've done together in ministry, and of course our main ministry is just raising kids and being mm -hmm. a husband and wife, but this has been so rewarding to yeah. do this with you, Wendy. Yeah, for sure. So grateful to you for being Absolutely. part of this. And I know our listeners are grateful to you for being part of this. It would not be the same pot. It just would not no. be the same pot. It really should be Ask Christopher and Wendy West podcast. It really should be. In case you didn't hear us say this on a previous episode, if we changed the name, we'd have to start all over with the rankings and all that stuff, and, it, and not as many people would be able to reach it and listen to it. And so... That's fine with me. 100%. It, I just want you, I want the listeners to know, and I want you to know that you deserve that place. It's the Ask Christopher and Wendy West podcast. That's what it is. But officially, that's not what it's called. <laughs> well, thank you to all of you who are listening today, um, even if this is your first episode that you're listening to. Hey, if it's your first episode, you have another 210 or whatever to catch up on. <laughs> Thank you to those who have shared episodes, especially if a, a question and an answer touched you and you thought of someone that would benefit from it. That That is always a great gift when you share episodes. So we're grateful to you for that and for um, just taking things uh, that we're sharing into your heart and prayer and life and blessing the body of Christ by being more fully a gift, which yeah. is what we're all about here. And a special thank you to our listeners who are patrons. We're so grateful for your monthly support. You enable us to do what we do here at the TOB Institute. We can't do it without you. If you are not a patron, can we give you a little encouragement to consider that prayerfully? 
If you're feeling that little Holy Spirit nudge, uh, follow through on that. Uh, just a $10 a month is where we start with our patron community, and we offer you a lot of benefits in return. There are retreats that we offer exclusively to our patrons that are there on the website. You have access to our virtual conferences, and gosh, there's over, probably over 200 talks, <clears throat> excuse my cough, from those virtual conferences from the likes of Scott Hahn and uh, Father Mike Schmitz and Jason Everett and staff and teachers here at the TOB Institute, so many other people uh, in those talks from the virtual conferences. Uh, yeah, check it out. You'll, I think you'll really benefit from the benefits. But even if you're not able to take advantage of all those benefits, if you believe in what we're doing, would you be willing to support us with 10 or 20 or maybe $50 a month, whatever you're able to afford? It goes a long, long way to enable us to do what we're doing. So grateful to you. Hmm. And I'm wondering about any updates from the TUB Institute for our listeners. Yes, we have recently added a pilgrimage in 2023. Uh, most of our listeners are probably aware, because we've talked about it a good bit, that you and I, Wendy, uh, it's kind of an official Ask Christopher and Wendy West podcast, um, <laughs> renamed unofficially, but... <laughs> It's the real name, should be the real Anyway, we are, our podcast is sponsoring a pilgrimage to France. Mm -hmm. uh, we begin in Lourdes, and then we get on a cruise, river cruise boat, and head up the Seine River, and we'll be following in the footsteps of St. Therese, the little flower. Uh, but we just recently added a pilgrimage in June. The France pilgrimage is in October, and that one is already half full. So that's going to sell out. If you want to go, now's the time to sign up for that. If you're looking for a little less of a major excursion, if you don't want to go to Europe and you want a more localized excursion, well, what am I mean localized? We're talking to people around the world. Hmm. I'm, see, I'm such an American. Forgive me. <laughs> Forgive me for my Amerocentric view of the planet. I was thinking if you're from America and you want a more localized pilgrimage and you don't want to go to Europe, you might want to take part in the Mexico pilgrimage to see Our Lady of Guadalupe. That will be led by Jen Settle from the TOB Institute. Mm. She will do a marvelous job walking you in the footsteps of Juan Diego and the message of Fatima and Fatima, the message, the message of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and uh, all seen through the TOB lens and how John Paul's teaching breaks open the meaning of the tilma for us. So check out in the show notes the links to both of those pilgrimages. Our first question is from a patron named Katie. Hello, Katie. My husband and I are both baptized Catholics. We entered marriage in 2008 in unrepentant grave sin. We were sexually active. I was using contraception. We had little Catholic formation and no faith, really. We married in the church in 2008 as a cultural rite of passage, rather than as any expression of faith at the time. Within 18 months of marrying, we were delighted to welcome our first child, and we now have two beautiful children. They are our joy. However, I had an illness a few years back, and I couldn't continue on oral contraception due to the treatment. My husband was reluctant, but I pursued the issue, and he did have a vasectomy. Since then... I have come to faith, and I have deeply repented of my past sins. 
My husband is beginning to come to faith and has been coming to Mass. Praise God. Can we pause there just for a minute mm -hmm. and rejoice in the miracle mm. of the grace that has broken through in Katie's life and in her husband's mm -hmm. life? That is cause for deep rejoicing. Yes, yes. What I'm thinking of that scripture uh, of how all of heaven rejoices when sinners repent. Mm. More rejoicing in heaven, Katie, over your repentance than over thousands and thousands of married couples, if there even are thousands and thousands of married couples, who never used contraception and never had sex before marriage. Um, yeah, heaven is rejoicing, and Wendy and I are rejoicing mm. at this amazing grace unfolding mm -hmm. in your life. I'm all ears for the rest. Mm. Just wanted to say that. Yeah. Going on, she says, at my request, my husband went to confession and received absolution. Although he hasn't yet reached the point of pursuing a reversal, I'm hopeful that he will someday. My question now, though, is, are we in an invalid marriage since we entered into it when all that moral evil existed? Had I excommunicated myself? If so, then we're not married at all and therefore currently living in sin. I've asked several clergy about this, and they assure me I had not excommunicated myself, but I desperately need assurance that they are correct. Or if not, what can we do? Please help. Bless you, Katie. I hear the cry of your heart, and I want to breathe peace and hope and a sense of the wonder and the miracle of what God is unfolding in your life. That's, that's what I want to be for you today. And here's where I will begin. The proper theology, there, there is that little, not little, that painful catch in your heart where you think, oh my gosh, we are in such a terrible state of sin. Uh, do we even have a valid marriage? Okay, that catch in your heart is, is legitimate, but the conclusion is not, right? The catch that something was wrong is correct. But what happened was you were not being in a state of grace. The grace of your sacrament, it was granted. Uh, there's no reason, based on the information you've given me, there's no reason to believe your marriage is invalid. But the grace of it was not able to have an impact in your hearts until you repented. Right? So you are experiencing now uh, open hearts. Your husband's already been to confession. You've been to confession. You have repented. As far as the East is from the West, so is your sin from you. So the grace, it's, it's, may I put it this way? It's like, this is my image that came to my mind. It's like the grace was being poured out by God. It was being poured out by God, but you had a, you and your husband had a diaphragm on your hearts. <clears throat> the grace was not able to have its effect. But that diaphragm has been removed, and now the grace is being poured out, and now you and your husband are learning, and it's a journey, you're still on it, and you will be the rest of your lives. You're learning how to open and remain open to that grace. You are already, you already are seeing miracles in your marriage, and you will see more. Miracles of grace. And I would, I, I already sensed it in your heart that you are hoping that your husband will consider a reversal of his vasectomy, 
I want to just clarify for our listeners that a vasectomy is not an abs- uh, excuse me a vasectomy reversal is not an absolute requirement of repentance because you can't require something that may not be possible. Right? There are situations in which it is not possible to get a reversal, but there are situations, the majority of them, in which a reversal is possible. So keep praying. Katie, your, your husband, the very fact that he's going to Mass, the very fact that he went to confession, there is grace underway, and you have every reason to hope and believe that your husband, by as he continues to open to grace, will probably come to the conclusion on his own, because he will sense it more and more, that he would want that reversal to happen. I, I'll share this just for the sake of an example of what is at stake and and the healing that can come. I have recommended to men whose wives are past childbearing years, and I've even recommended to men whose wives have died that they still get a vasectomy reversal for the restoration of their own bodily integrity. Right? There is a, a bodily mutilation has happened in a vasectomy. That's what has happened. If you chopped your arm off and you don't want to get it back, and it's possible to get it back and you don't want to get it back, then something is still maybe off in your heart there, I think we would conclude. Uh, similarly, when, when you mutilate the functioning of your testicles, and if you could fix that and you don't, then, okay, maybe something's still off there, but your husband's on a journey. Trust that grace is operative, and trust that grace will have its way in your marriage. It's already happening. It's a miracle. Praise God. Katie, I agree. Everything Christopher just said is such a word of hope and truth. And I I sense that as this kind of, it's like a, to me, like a crested wave that was mm. held back and and the barrier was removed and it just kind of flooded mm. into your marriage. I think that the evil one doesn't like to give up territory. Yep. And I, I think that this kind of anxiety, are we currently living in sin? Was I excommunicated? In part, the, the enemy of our souls would really like to keep you there because he knows your life is such a testimony to God's goodness and mercy that is so desperately needed by so many people in our time. And he doesn't want that testimony to be proclaimed. And he's casting a lot of doubt on um, just the true goodness of your marriage, of your children, your family, your faith, um, to kind of prevent the further reach of this grace. So if anything, I just want to stomp on Satan with the Blessed Mother and say, you don't have your way here because this couple is truly bathed in the blood of our Savior and redeemed and made new by the power of the cross. And the power of the cross is real. And the power of the sacraments is real. And it's a joy and a freedom that we want to celebrate with you. Katie, our prayer for you is that you and your husband would taste and enter into the rejoicing that is happening in heaven 
because of your repentance mm. and that you would know you have a valid sacrament and that that grace is flowing and it's flowing not just to you it's flowing to your children and it's going to flow out from your sacrament to the ends of the earth this is this is how it works this is what it means that we are part of the body of Christ when one member of the body is ailing the whole body is ailing when one member of the body repents there is a grace given to the whole body of Christ i'm i'm wendy and i are feeling right now the graces that are flowing out of your marriage because you've opened to those graces and and allowed that wave as wendy was saying to 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 have its full force woo keep going girl keep mm. going amen our next question is from a listener named Amy Lynn. Hello, Amy Lynn. Thank you so much for the opportunity you give to engage with you. I hope my question makes it to your list to be answered soon. Here it is, Amy Lynn. I recently discovered what kinds of shows are offered on channels like Netflix. I usually don't watch too much TV, and I try to choose well what I watch. But a few months ago, out of curiosity, I looked to see what is out there. I was shocked at all the nudity and sex scenes so easily accessible. The sheer magnitude of it is confounding. My questions are these. First, are these shows pornographic or is porn something else? If it is porn, how sad because it is so easily accessible even to young children. One does not need to go looking for it. It's there looking for them, so to speak. Second, as an adult who wants to be a good Catholic, do I totally avoid these shows or can I watch them and skip over the offensive scenes or close my eyes? And number three, if I should not watch these shows and I do, what is the sin to confess? What would I say in confession? Bless you, Amy Lynn. I can tell you have a, a sensitive conscience and you're seeking guidance there, and I hope we can offer some thoughts that will help you in answer to your first question, is this pornographic? Uh, like 99% yeah. Yeah, there, there, there are examples of nudity in art that are not pornographic, right? Think of the Sistine Chapel. Uh, John Paul II um, ordered the removal of many of the loincloths that previous popes had demanded be painted over Michelangelo's original nudes. John Paul II said, take them off, uh, and take them off in the name of Christian purity, because Michelangelo, he said, allowed himself to be guided by the evocative words of the book of Genesis that speak of the man and his wife being naked without shame. So there we have to distinguish between an authentic portrayal of nakedness in art and, and a pornographic one. What is the distinction? John Paul II says the distinction lies in the intention of the artist. And, and nudity in art is pornographic when the intention is to arouse lust in the viewer, to portray the human body as an object to be uh, bought and sold for the titillation of others as mere entertainment. If the nudity has no artistic point, if it's... If it's um, if it's demeaning to the person, uh, yes, this is pornographic. And 99% of the, 
of what you're going to 99.5 or 99.8 percent <laughs> of what you're of the nudity you're going to be seeing on Netflix is going to be of that variety, uh, you know, with the intention to 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 titillate, with the intention to arouse lust in others, with are uh, created by artists who have little to no understanding of the true meaning and dignity of the human body. So yes, do we need to be wary of this? Absolutely. Does this mean you can't watch anything on Netflix that might say contains nudity? No, you can be discerning. Uh, you can be, you can fast forward through those sections. You can, you can not look. Uh, there are any number of movies that Wendy and I have seen uh, I, I'll point to Titanic as an example, right? And I, I could point to many others, but there's nudity in Titanic and there's a sex scene in the movie Titanic. Does that mean we can't benefit from the good wheat that is part of that movie because there are weeds in the movie? No, that is not what it means. It means we have to discerning, be discerning and we have to be able to say, okay, I know that that's, there's the wheat. I wanna, I, I wanna receive the goodness of the wheat in this story they're the weeds. I'm not going to buy into those weeds. I'm not going to let those weeds get into my own soul and take root in there. And if that means fast forwarding or that means looking away, whatever that might mean. And it may mean, please, please hear me, because one of the most essential uh, points of Christian wisdom in all of this is Christian know thyself, right? There's no blanket statement for everybody as to what is appropriate in every situation, because we're all in different parts of our journey. For example, it is not a sin for me to go to a bar, uh, but it could be an occasion of sin for an alcoholic to go to a bar because of what his particular weakness is, right? It is not an occasion of sin for me to watch Titanic. I know what scenes I need to be aware of. I know where to guard my heart and not let the weeds take root in my heart so I can watch Titanic and benefit from the goodness of the story and not let the weeds take any root in my heart. Uh, but that has come from a lot of prayer and discernment and growth. If I had watched Titanic when I was 17 and didn't know how to discern things or didn't have a mom and dad who could help me discern things or whatever, would I have gotten in sexual trouble with it? Yeah, I would have. Um, but I'm at a different place in my life now. So first point of Christian wisdom, Christian, know thyself. Know where you are on the journey. Uh, what is universal to all of us is don't let uh, that which is sinful take root in your own heart. For some, that would mean don't even have Netflix. Don't even subscribe to Netflix because like the alcoholic, you're close to the alcohol and, and you're going to drink. So don't subscribe to Netflix. For others who don't have those same struggles or in the same intensity, uh, we, we subscribe to Netflix. There are lots of really good things we love to watch on Netflix. I've benefited from having all kinds of, um, you know, watching all kinds of things on Netflix with discernment. With discernment. That is the key. Now, if you, the, to answer your final question, if you were to watch something and you did see that those weeds were taking root in your own heart, and you were kind of fostering those weeds and even pouring a little water on those weeds, well, the, the, the weed there would be lust. Uh, if we're talking about nudity and that 
particular kind of inclination to treat the body as an object for my selfish pleasure, uh, the weed there, the sin there, is lust. So that's what you would confess. And lust is a dishonoring of the dignity of the human body and the mystery and goodness of God's plan for sexuality. Uh, but again, I'll just, I'll just draw from John Paul II, who in many places, in the theology of the body itself, in his book, Love and Responsibility, he says that artists have a right to realism and to the depiction of the love of man and woman. Now, he's very clear about the lines that mustn't be crossed in terms of the intentions of the artist in upholding the dignity of the, the person, the relationship, the body, etc. Um, but we must, it's, it's not that we must run the opposite way whenever we see a kissing scene or whenever the love of a man and a woman is portrayed. Uh, there's a tasteful way to do it that does not violate the dignity of the actors, that does not violate the dignity of the viewers. Um, yeah, and again, I'd hold out the Sistine Chapel as, as an example. It gets more complicated when we talk about uh, movies and photographs. Um, John Paul II says, in an artistic work like a painting or a sculpture, there's an artistic translation uh, of a person's body uh, through sculpture or through painting, whereas in pho photography or movie making, there's an actual representation, representation of living human beings. So that adds a layer of complexity to it all. But again, that does not mean that uh, art cannot show the human body or the love of a man and a woman in a way that is dignified and does not seek to arouse lust in the viewer. Yeah, I, I think, Amy Lynn, I'm just thinking about your question, and um, I think, you know, it's, it's a tricky um, situation to realize, first of all, that how much is accessible out there, um, and how easily and how um, not seriously at all it's being taken and how commonplace um, some really disturbing and um, just undignified images and troubling images, how, how common they're becoming in our culture and therefore in our experiences and experiences of children. So, and I know anybody, anybody's innocence being robbed by, uh, some of these images. So I think you have, a, you know, certainly a call to intercede um, for actors and makers of shows and for viewers, all of that. You can take that concern in your heart to prayer. And it's also important to just kind of have a, um, a maturing in your understanding of your own heart as you um, are exposed to something um, there can be sort of a frantic reaction. Oh no, I have to get to confession because sort of like something has like, like you need to go put clothes in the laundry when they get stained or something, um, fast as possible. So you can have a presentable outfit to wear or something. Um, and that, you know, I'm not trying to, um, underplay or understate the importance of going to confession, I just want to hold out that sometimes um, if, you know, you feel like you yourself are maybe fairly innocent, 
or or naive or something that there can be elements of curiosity that I don't think you should run to confession necessarily as much as maybe to uh, a wise spiritual friendship to kind of speak the questions that have come up in your heart from what you've been exposed to and allow someone with more experience but with um, with just a sense of of dignity and the the good that we're called to and the way sin has affected us to kind of someone that you can talk to about some of that would be really helpful so that you can make sense of anything that you have been exposed to now um, and just know how to um, both pray for the people involved but also understand more deeply some of the human dynamics that are being portrayed. Yeah, that's a very good point, Wendy. There, there can be a kind of scrupulosity that we have on the one hand and then a laxity on, on the other. And we have to avoid both extremes. And I'll I'll say this just because it's it's we we're in a pornographic culture. It is almost inevitable, if not totally inevitable, that just living in this world, we will be exposed to pornography, to pornographic images. You can barely drive on a highway and not see semi-pornographic images um, or blatantly pornographic images. So exposure to pornography is is not itself a sin. It's the active engagement of the will to treat those people that are pictured there as objects for our own selfish pleasure, right? Um, when Jesus says, if you even look lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart, um, he's not saying that the mere inclination to lust is a sin, right? Sin only enters the picture when our will is engaged. Uh, there have been times where I've been exposed to pornographic images against my will, and I do not engage my will in any way to treat those people as objects for my selfish pleasure. Although, as a fallen human being, I feel the inclination to do so. There's a pull in that direction to do so. But, okay, so there's the scenario. I'm exposed to some pornographic image on the cover of a magazine, walking through an airport or a billboard or whatever. <clears throat> and I feel the inclination, but I don't engage my will. I say, I'll even pray, Lord, that is a person made in the image and likeness of God, never to be looked upon or treated as an object for my selfish pleasure. Please, Lord, redirect my passions, redirect my desires towards the true dignity of that person in my mind and in my heart, that I might experience sexual desire as you created it to be, as a desire to love in your image and likeness. A prayer like that, which has become a very normal part of my life, has, has saved me from countless times of being exposed to things that are demeaning and, and not getting sucked in. Uh, so I just encourage our listeners, come up with your own prayer, or use that one if it's helpful. Come up with a prayer that just redirects your desire towards the true, the good, and the beautiful, and honors the dignity of that person or persons who are being demeaned in whatever images you might have been exposed mm. to. Our next question is from Amber. I'm currently in nursing school, and I'm concerned with some of the ways I'm learning to care for patients. I've been taught to teach about, quote, safe sex, 
to ask patients about the number of sexual partners and what type of birth control they use. I understand I have a responsibility to provide care for my future patients, but advising them to use contraception seems more harmful than healing. I'm also learning to not assume a patient's gender or sexual identity. I'm feeling pressured to support any gender or sexual orientation one chooses. I'm scared that my work will either force me to go against my faith and what is objectively true, or I will have a hard time finding a place to work where my faith-driven views will be respected. I simply do not feel comfortable supporting patients on certain decisions that go against God's plan for us. I'm too scared to bring up my concerns to other students or professors because I do not want to be labeled as unloving based on my views. How can I stay true to church teaching, even if my place of work asks me to go against it? Should I even work at a place that advocated for contraception, gender fluidity, and a wide variety of sexual orientations? Bless you, dear Amber. You are in a pickle and this is becoming more and more the common reality. And I, I know various Catholic medical professionals who take uh, various approaches to this, all in an attempt to remain, and in a desire, a genuine desire to remain faithful to the Church's teaching. Uh, I would encourage you, urge you, to find a group of medical professionals like the Catholic Medical Association. Uh, start there. Uh, hang out with, uh, enter into relationship with like-minded Catholics who work in the medical field and have navigated these ever-changing obstacles to being a faithful Catholic in the medical world. It's going to get more and more difficult to do so, and there will be a price. And only if Catholics in the medical field are willing to be martyrs, and I, I, I mean that hopefully in the white sense of martyrdom, where you face persecution and ridicule and misunderstanding, uh, but also in some more serious forms of martyrdom, like losing a job, or uh, God forbid that it would get to the point where people are being put to death in the streets, but it's not impossible that the culture is going to go that direction in the next several decades. But I want to zoom in on Oh, that's first. I, and I, let me just emphasize again. The first point, it is crucial that you find committed Catholics in the medical world who've been down this road that you can learn from. Catholic Medical Association would be somewhere I'd point you. Okay, second, I'd like to zoom in on the word care, that you said you had a responsibility to care for your patients. Absolutely, you do. But what is true care of your patients? And this is, this is the real origin of your troubled conscience, because you're recognizing that what your training is calling care is not authentic care, right? We are in a topsy-turvy world where good is called evil and evil is called good, where health is called disease and disease is called health. And when you live in that world that is upside down, Catholics look like the weirdos. Catholics look like the bigots. Catholics look like the ones who, as you said, are you didn't want to be considered unloving. Well, hold on. What does it really mean to love someone? To love someone is to, is to desire that person's true good, 
and to be ready and willing to sacrifice whatever you have to sacrifice to uphold that other's true good. That fear that you would be considered unloving is understandable, but the truth of the matter is those who are promoting these practices that are utterly contrary to the true good of human beings, they're the ones who are being unloving. And in that upside-down world, hate becomes love, and love becomes hate, and and uh, love becomes bigotry, and I think it just everything gets confused and darkened, and the the only way out of that, if there is a way out, I don't know that there is a way out, but to resist that evil, let me put it that way, you are facing a, a real evil, and I would even say a, a diabolical reality, and the only way to overcome that is through the cross of Jesus Christ. But what does that mean? That could just sound like a religious expression. What happened at the cross? Christ absorbed the evil into himself and returned love for it. It may mean, it may mean standing up for what is the true good of your patience and then facing the consequences that you don't get licensed, or you don't get promoted, or you get misunderstood, or you get labeled a bigot, or whatever. But to absorb that evil coming from others and return love for it, that is the way of the cross, and it's the only way evil is overcome. Uh, it can only be done by grace. Um, the more Catholics remain silent out of fear. Well, let's just put it this way. How did we get in this mess? Uh, what's the old saying? Um, evil triumphs when good people do nothing. Right? That's how evil triumphs. Uh, those who are, I mean, because of the silence or whatever, whatever you want to call it, the fear of Catholics to stand up for what is true, good, and beautiful, or maybe a sense that we don't know how to, or we haven't been properly educated in, in what worth, what's worth fighting for, or we don't know how to articulate the Church's teaching. Uh, we are in a real crisis on all of these fronts, and all of these fronts need to be addressed in, a, in an integral way. But here is the real practical situation that you find yourself in, that you you can you you actually will be guilty of of harming these people you're called to care for if you directly cooperate with procedures with um, a mentality that is contrary to the good of these patients. Uh, band together with like-minded Catholic medical professionals. Uh, because we need, we need, desperately need nurses and doctors and medical technicians and nurses' aides, etc., etc., who stand up and believe what the Church teaches and implement it in their practices. I'm thinking, Christopher, as I'm sitting here, we record, as many of our listeners know, in your office, which is also kind of a library, and you have many books on uh Catholic teachings, but you also have books 
that are a very, you know, worldly view on things that you want to know about because you want to reach the culture. Right, right. And you've, you've acquired these books and read many of them as a way of uh, being aware yes. of that which you're trying to reach. And right. I, I hope, Amber, maybe that sense of as you're learning some of these things in school, it does seem like your particular nursing school isn't uh, coming from a Catholic perspective, that it can be a part of your education that as long as you are remaining also informed about a true ethical and uh, dignity, you know, respecting the human dignity of your patients, you have to seek that part of your education yourself. But learning about the practices that are being taught in uh, current healthcare can be a, a strength for you in your ability to also offer that which is true and good if you have an understanding of what the approach is that's um, becoming common or being promoted. So I just want to say that there is not, it's not wrong to learn the things. It is a little lonely when you are sitting in a classroom and feel like you're the only one who's alarmed by these things. And maybe you're not the only one, but it may feel that way. Um, I'm thinking of the course also, the Institute offers a course on Catholic uh, is it Catholic just sexual, sexual ethics? ethics, which has certainly a, is related to the topics that Amber's bring, bringing yes, up yes. in this question. And that, in fact, we're offering it online in February. Okay. So check out the course schedule below. Yeah. So that could be an excellent aspect of just yeah, being informed point. on what what is the church's position and how is that lived out in healthcare. I would not say that you you know, should despair of finding places to work, Amber, because um, where while this distortion is out there throughout the culture, there are many types of care that nurses are beautifully giving in this world every day and night that um, are not in any way in violation of um, our faith and the truth. So I want you to have full hope in that regard. There, it's kind of hard to avoid ever encountering these issues, but to keep in mind that you're called to provide true health care and respect the dignity of the people before you, I believe the Holy Spirit can guide you whether your work situation is one that you, you know, the different ways that you are able to just be a light in the darkness, depending on your work situation. I want you to really have a trust that that is absolutely possible. And to what you're recognizing, I think, right now in your education is how important it will be going forward to educate yourself further on the morality of different practices and also to just grow in your sense of how you are a particular gift that the Lord is giving to the situations in which you work and in a certain ongoing dialogue with the Holy Spirit that becomes necessary as we touch people in these very profound encounters that we have in healthcare, that we need to be in dialogue with the Holy Spirit so that we can, whether our call is simply to be in silent prayer or to say something or to provide a resource to someone, all of those things, we need to be tuned into the Holy Spirit. Lord, you know this painful situation that Amber is caught in, 
we ask, Lord, that you would please guide her, open the doors she is meant to walk through, close the doors she's not meant to walk through, give her the wisdom to know the difference, bring her into contact with like-minded Catholic medical professionals that she can learn from, men and women who've already navigated these very troubled waters, uh, help her to learn, as Wendy was saying, that she still can learn what the medical world is teaching today, and, and knowing where it's misguided can be all the more a bright light in these dark places. We ask you, Lord, please to bring her peace and direction as she seeks to navigate this very troubling and difficult situation. And we ask all our listeners out there, please keep Amber in your prayers in this really, oh my gosh, and it's going to get worse. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Show us the way forward. Mm. And Lord, teach us, teach us the way of real victory. Teach us the way of overcoming evil by uniting ourselves with you on the cross, absorbing the evil and returning love for when we are persecuted, when we are ridiculed, when we are misunderstood. Lord, that is how the victory is won. Show us that path and give us the courage to walk it no matter the cost. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, bless you, dear listeners. Keep the questions coming. Uh, that's the lifeblood of this podcast. We're very grateful to everybody who submits the questions. We're sorry we can't get to all of them. Uh, Wendy, you do a great job, by the way, fielding all that. Thank you, Wendy. So grateful oh, to you. Thanks. Doesn't she do a great job, everybody? <laughs> I think she does. Uh, please share this episode with anybody you know who could benefit. And until next time. Remember, as always, we say, you are a gift, an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift of life and love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.